0: Speaker of the day, Brother Lawrence Justice, member here at Central Baptist Church, and we're thankful, Brother Justice, you are a member here. You come bring your message. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Matthew 16, verse 18. The title of this message, Is There Such a Thing as the Universal Church? And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There are three major views today of the nature of the church of Jesus Christ. First, there's the Roman Catholic view that teaches that the church is universal and visible. The very word Catholic means universal. They believe that there's just one church throughout the whole world. In their thinking... No local Catholic congregation is a church, but only a small part of the whole church. According to the Catholic view, the word church cannot be plural because there is just one church. The key thought is that the church is visible. Second, there is the Protestant view that teaches that the church is a universal and invisible entity and sees this church as the body of Christ. In the Reformation, the Protestants had a problem with the doctrine of the church. They came out of the Roman Catholic Church and they recognized that the Catholic Church was almost totally corrupt with false doctrine and sinful practices. And yet, if they admitted that the Catholic Church was so corrupt as to be apostate and false, then they would have to admit that their own Catholic baptisms were invalid. In order to avoid this dilemma, the Protestants came up with the new theory of the nature of the Church they invented what they called the universal invisible church. And this theory says that the true church is made up of all true believers of no matter what denomination.
1: They say that the local church
0: is the visible church and is made up of both regenerate and unregenerate members. But all True believers, no matter what
1: visible local
0: church they may belong to, are members of the great universal invisible church, which they call the body of Christ. This definition allows them to remain in a local church no matter how corrupt and no matter how unscriptural and how apostate that church may become. Protestants invented the universal invisible theory of the church to offset the Roman Catholic theory of the universal visible church. And then the third view of the church is the biblical view, which sees the church as being only a local and visible assembly. True Baptist with God's word, teach a local and visible church and only a local and visible church. Uh, Baptists are not Protestants. We existed long before Protestantism arose in the 16th century in Europe. And historically, until relatively recently, Baptists have not accepted the Protestant view of the church as being universal and invisible, Most so-called evangelicals today accept the universal invisible church theory. Sadly, more and more who call themselves Baptists are doing the same thing. What is the truth? What are the facts in this matter? Is there such a thing as the universal invisible church? Well, the answer can be learned from answering two other essential questions about the church. The first is, what is a church? As most of you know, the Greek word for church in the New Testament is the word ekklesia, which is made up of two words, ek, meaning out of, and klesia, meaning called ones. So ekklesia means literally called out ones, but the word means much more than this. Most Protestants will stop with that definition, but the word means a lot more than this. It has inherent within it the thought of an assembly. It means to assemble, to gather together, to congregate. And the thought of an assembly or congregation is always involved in the word ecclesia or church. Upon this rock I will build my assembly, the Lord Jesus literally says in this text. Turn with me to Acts 14 and verse 27. Acts 14 verse 27. This is telling about Paul making his report to the church at Antioch that had sent him out, when it says, and when they were come and had gathered the church together, that's the key phrase, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Now that was an assembly. Biblical Baptists, believe in a gathered church. In fact, historically, we were once ridiculed for believing in a gathered church. The translators of the King James Version used a Scottish word, kirk, K-I-R-K-E, or church. They used that word in order to translate ecclesia. Ecclesia would better have been translated literally as assembly or called out assembly or congregation. If words mean anything, an assembly is something that assembles. If words mean anything, an assembly is something that assembles. I have in my possession... a copy of the notes of a sermon by the pastor of a Bible church in Kansas City in which that pastor makes the following statement. Quote, What does the Bible teach about the church? The Greek word translated church refers to an assembly of people. However, as used in the New Testament, it emphasizes people, whether assembled or not. Thus, as a believer, you are the church, Unquote. <clears throat> Well, an assembly is a company of people who actually assemble. It's not an individual. It's a company of people who actually assemble. If something never assembles, it's not an assembly. Let's look now at the biblical definition of a church. and We've already seen that the word means a called-out assembly. From considering the rest of the New Testament, we find that a church can be properly defined as an assembly of baptized believers. A New Testament church is a local Visible Assembly of Scripturally Baptized Believers. The New Testament idea of a church is that of a sovereign, independent, local congregation of baptized believers banded together to carry out the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the second question I shall ask in seeking to answer the question in the title of this message is, How is the word church used in the scriptures? The New Testament uses the word church in three different senses. First of all, it uses it in a local sense. To refer to a particular congregation or congregations in this sense the word refers to a particular local visible assembly turn to acts 247 acts chapter 2 verse 47 <clears throat> praising god and having favor with all the people and the lord added to the church to the assembly Daily, such as should be saved. Clearly, these people were added to the Jerusalem assembly because that was the only church then in existence. It was a local and visible assembly. In the New Testament, individual churches are spoken of as being at certain cities. 1 Corinthians 1-2 speaks of, quote, the church of God which is at Corinth. That has to be a local assembly. It can't be an invisible, mystical uh, something floating around out there somewhere.
1: It also speaks of individual churches as being
0: in certain houses. Colossians 4.15 speaks of the church which was in Nympha's house. These were obviously local and visible churches assemblies. The fact that the term church is often used in the plural in the New Testament also reveals that the church is a local and visible assembly. Turn to Acts 16 and verse 5. <clears throat> Acts chapter 16 and verse 5. And so where the church is, that's plural, established in the faith, and increased in number daily. There were now several churches in existence, and these were real, visible congregations. In Revelation 1 4, John says that he wrote the book of Revelation to the seven churches of Asia. There were seven local, visible assemblies. They were at Ephesus, Sardis, Smyrna, Thyatira, Pergamus, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Each of the seven was an individual, independent church defined by location and by membership. The functions given to the churches by the New Testament also require that the churches be local and visible. The major functions given to the assembly are to make disciples, to baptize these disciples, and to teach those baptized disciples. The church is to function also as the pillar and ground of the truth. And it is to exercise discipline over its members. Well, these things can only be functions of a local, visible assembly of believers. The second sense in which the word church is used in the New Testament is what I choose to call an institutional sense. An institutional sense. Now we sometimes speak of the home as an institution. When we say the American home we're not referring to any particular American home, but to the American home as an institution. In this usage, the term church does not refer to a concrete or specific assembly. It's rather an abstract mental concept, an idea of the mind. In our text this morning, in Matthew 16, 18, the Lord Jesus uses the word church in this abstract institutional sense. He's not speaking of any particular assembly, but to uh, he's speaking of the assembly as an institution. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Lord Jesus says here that the gates of hell
1: would not prevail against his church, and yet
0: the Jerusalem church that existed at that time is now no longer in existence. The gates of hell have prevailed against many uh, and most local churches in history. They put them out of existence. Not every church lasts throughout all the ages, but the church in an institutional sense, does. It's still here. There have been, are, and always shall be true churches in this world. Particular American homes disappear, but the home as an institution lives on. Particular churches disappear from history, but the church as an institution Lives on. Christ's church is an abiding institution. Other scriptures that use the word church in this institutional sense include Ephesians 1 22 and 23, which tells us that Christ is the head over all things to the assembly, eh? and that's his church as an institution. Let's turn to Ephesians 1 22 and 23. Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, speaking about Christ. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now let's also look here at 1 Timothy 3.15. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Also speaking of the church in an institutional sense. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The third sense in which the New Testament uses the word church is in a prospective sense. This might also be referred to as the eschatological sense. And eschatology has to do with last things, things in the future. Verses where the word is used like this speak of the church in prospect, the church in the future, after the Lord Jesus comes back. B.H. Carroll called the church in this sense the glory church. The glory church is the great, final, and complete gathering or assembly of all the elect of all the ages. It will be made up of the whole number of the redeemed. This assembly in heaven will be quite different from the assembly here on earth today. Now, and we'll come back to that a little bit more in a moment, but the bride
1: is another description
0: of this eschatological aspect of the church. The glory church is to be the Lamb's bride. The marriage and the marriage supper of the Lamb, of which we read in Revelation 19, will involve this glory church and it will take place at the end of time. The marriage feast suggests that the saints have then been glorified and perfected. Let's read verses 7 through 9 of the 19th chapter of Revelation. Revelation 19, 7 through 9. Now, as I said, this, this passage suggests that the saints uh, at the marriage of the Lamb will have been glorified and perfected.
1: Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him,
0: for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed, In fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Two scriptures deal with the church in this prospective sense. Uh, The first, well, at least two, probably three. But uh, the first is Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. If you'll turn to that with me. Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. Now, this is dealing with the church in this prospective sense, future, eschatological sense. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. The other scripture is Ephesians 5.27, if you'll turn to that. Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 27. Paul is speaking here about the church and about Christ. When he says in Ephesians 5:27, that he, that is Christ, might present it, that is the church, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now think about it, the church, any church at this present time is not the bride of Christ. The bride is the church in glory, perfect,
1: glorified,
0: ready to enter into eternal bliss with her Lord. When the glorification of the church is complete, Christ will present, him, present her to himself a glorious church, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Now, who makes up this prospective church, this church in glory? I believe the answer is the redeemed of all time make it up. All the saved of every church and no church will be glorified when Christ returns, including the Old Testament saints. All believers will be included in the glory church, though there will be a distinction among them because of the rewards given them and works being being burned also. I believe the 24 elders around the throne in heaven, as mentioned in Revelation 4, speak of the glory church. There were 12 tribes of Israel, There were 12 apostles in the churches, and thus this speaks of all of God's people in both Old Testament and New Testament ages. Now you may disagree with me on that, but that's all right. Uh, Today there are some folks who believe that this bride of Christ will be made up of Baptists only. You know that. Thus, we sometimes call them Baptist briders. These people teach that the bride or the church in glory will be made up of Baptists only, and other Christians who go to heaven will merely be friends of the bridegroom and wedding guests. As far as I can see, God's word says nothing of any Baptist bride. It's not in the book. As far as I can tell, there's not one word of Scripture that teaches that some Christians will be included in the glory church and other Christians will be left out. This glory church does not yet exist because it has not yet assembled. Remember, meaning of the word, called out, assembled. It will only assemble in heaven after all of God's people get there. And even then, the church will not be universal and invisible. It will be assembled in one place and visible to all. It will be the general assembly and church of the firstborn. and we're talking here about how the word church is used in the scriptures. Let's try to sum up what God's word has to say about this. The New Testament uses the word ekklesia, or church, in three senses, particularly, abstractly, and prospectively. Now, if you're going to remember those three $2 words, uh, you've got a good idea of the church particularly, the scriptures speak of the church particularly, abstractly, and prospectively. Well, the Lord Jesus uses the word church 26 times in the New Testament. Altogether, the word occurs 115 times in the New Testament. It is used 110 times with a Christian significance. 94 times, The word has reference to a local, visible assembly. So this is the main emphasis of the scriptures concerning the church. It's used 94 out of 110 times to refer to a local church. You know that's the main emphasis of the scriptures in teaching about the church. Fourteen times the word is used to refer to the church as an institution. And twice it's used of the church in glory, the church in prospect. Five times the New Testament uses the word of, uh, of an assembly other than one made up of baptized believers. It refers to something else. Acts 7.38 speaks of the church in the wilderness. And a lot of people really get confused about this because it's talking about Israel. Stephen in this scripture is reviewing the history of Israel. And he speaks of a time when israel was assembled in the wilderness uh, this was not a church in any sense any of these three senses in which the new testament uses the word to describe it hebrews 2:12 speaks of this same assembly of israel it was simply a gathering of israelites at the door of the tabernacle acts 19:32 and 1941 used the word to refer to an assembly of citizens in the theater at Ephesus. The Greek word says a church gathered in the theater at Ephesus. I wasn't talking about a church in a religious sense at all. It meant an assembly. This was a local, visible assembly, but it was not a body of baptized believers. Acts 19.39 uses the word to refer to the town council at Ephesus that would be called to deal with city business. And this, too, was a local, visible assembly. Well, this brings us to the question asked in the title of our message this morning. Is there such a thing as a a universal, invisible church? The answer of God's Word is no. There is no such thing as a universal, invisible church. Now let's let's consider four reasons why this is so.
1: First of all, there is no such thing as a universal, invisible church
0: because a universal, invisible church cannot assemble. The very meaning of the word church in the New Testament requires that it be an assembly of baptized believers in Jesus Christ. But it is impossible for a universal, invisible church made up of believers everywhere to assemble here on earth. 1 Corinthians 14.23 speaks of the whole church coming together, something impossible for a universal, invisible body. Let's turn to that first Corinthians 14:23 First Corinthians chapter 14 verse 23 if therefore <clears throat> the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there to come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, Will they not say that ye are mad? So this was one local church. The church at Corinth and the whole church came together. Next, 1 Corinthians fifteen nine. if you'll just look down the page there. 1 Corinthians fifteen nine. Paul says here, For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now, did Paul persecute an assembly that never assembled? A universal, invisible assembly? No, he persecuted the visible Jerusalem assembly. Read about it in Acts 8.1. Since all of God's people have never yet assembled... There is today no universal church. Second, there's no universal church, invisible church today, because a universal invisible church cannot carry out the functions given by our Lord to the church. Whatever this universal invisible thing is that they talk about, it has no commission, it has no functions, has no ordinances, it has no discipline, it has no officers, it has no meeting place. Thirdly, there's no such thing as a universal invisible church because Christ himself never spoke of a universal invisible church. Though he used the word church 21 times, he never spoke of a universal invisible church. He used the word three times to speak of the church as an institution and 18 times to speak of a local, visible assembly. Turn to Revelation twenty-two sixteen. 16. Revelation 22, <clears throat> verse 16. This is the final word of the exalted Lord to his churches. These are local, visible Assemblies. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the church is. In the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Fourthly, there's no such thing as a universal invisible church, because the New Testament never refers to the church with universal adjectives. The New Testament never describes the church with such terms as universal, invisible, mystical, or Catholic. Baptists do not describe to the Apostles' Creed. By the way, I went to a meeting of the Founders' Group. That's a Southern Baptist outfit. They stand for the Doctrines of Grace, but they're really goofy on the church. And... I remember one preacher preached on why Baptists should subscribe to the Apostles' Creed. I I never thought I'd hear that in a Baptist church. But
1: the the Apostles'
0: Creed states, quote, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Now that doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church, but it means the universal church. Because Catholic means universal. And uh, that's not a biblical term. And I don't believe in the Holy Catholic Church. I'm a Baptist. Now, one other consideration in answering the question, is there such a thing as a universal church? The General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn in Hebrews 12, 22 and 23 is not a universal invisible church. Even that prospective church is not a universal invisible church. Turn again to Hebrews twelve twenty two. Hebrews twelve twenty two. <clears throat> Very quickly, I want, I, I want to I want to read this and then give you some reasons why this is so. This is not a universal church. <clears throat> I probably have the wrong reference there, but I'm, I'm talking about the general assembly and church of the firstborn that we've already read. Uh, it is not, this one in Hebrews 12, is not the universal invisible church because in the context where it's mentioned, it's located in glory within the heavenly Jerusalem. But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. So, secondly, the second reason Hebrews 12, 22 doesn't deal with a universal and invisible church is because the churches on earth are composed of imperfect, still sinning members. The colleague brought out last night. Christians still sin. The general assembly, however, will be composed of glorified saints, the spirits of just men made perfect, as verse twenty two makes clear. The qualification for entrance into the General Assembly is glorification or perfection. And this is a future certainty, but not a present reality. The church in glory, the bride, will be the glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing as Paul describes it in Ephesians 5.27. You know what? The churches in this present age all have spots and wrinkles and blemishes. Thirdly, the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn is not the Universal Invisible Church because the General Assembly has not yet assembled. The New Testament knows nothing of a church larger or more inclusive than one that can assemble in one place, not even the glory church at last. This general assembly has not yet assembled. Part of its members are now in heaven. Part of them are still here on the earth. Many of them are not yet called and maybe not even born yet. When all the redeemed have been glorified and assembled, the general assembly will then be in existence. The church will be called the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn only when it assembles in glory. This has not happened yet. It will in the future. Then and only then will this General Assembly come into being, and thus it will be a local and visible church. In conclusion, then, the idea that there is a great, universal, and visible church is absolutely without basis in Scripture.
1: Such a thing contradicts
0: the New Testament idea of the church. Let us pray. Our Father, we're thankful today for the church in all of its senses. We're grateful for this local church of which we're a member. Thank you for the fellowship here, with other Christians. Thank you for the preaching of the Word of God here. We thank you for <clears throat> the church in glory. We look forward to being there. We pray that you would bless this message to the edification of your people present here today and those watching uh, uh, in the internet. on the Internet. We pray these things in Christ Jesus' holy name and for his sake. Amen.